Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. I am doing the last episode in a series that I started on practical tips several months ago. It's kind of This series has been interspersed in between some really great interviews. So that's why it's taken me so long to finish this. But today I am going to share the last three practical tips to alleviate decision fatigue and give you more peace and power in your parenting. One of the reasons I think that having practical tips when you are doing trauma-informed parenting as a lifestyle is because our parenting has to look different than those around us. While some people are able to just wing it and everything seems to flow smoothly, When you are raising kiddos who have experienced trauma or and or have a capital letter syndrome, it doesn't flow smoothly all the time. In fact, we can feel as if we are living in a world of chaos like everybody else is living outside of a snow globe but we are living inside a snow globe that is continuously being shaken. Like as soon as it gets set down and you're like, okay, everything's calming down, somebody walks by and shakes it all up. So these practical tips aren't going to give you a perfect home or a perfect family or perfect peace, but if you employ some of them, they will give you more peace. One of the first things that I talked about in this series was having a schedule. So if you missed that one, I talk about having a schedule and creating a list of things that are going to happen in order for that schedule to work well. It it may be a different way than you've ever heard, and it may be more detailed than you've ever heard it presented in. So I suggest you go back and listen to that one. And the second practical tip that I shared in a separate podcast was about having a rotating menu plan 
including for your snacks, like have everything, like plan your snacks out. So if you missed that one, and also um, Megan Elaine did a great podcast on freezer cooking, which is a great way to batch your meals so that you're not constantly in that decision fatigue. So I keep saying the words decision fatigue. What is that? Let me just give you a story to share and explain that. Let's say you have to get out the door by 9 a.m. and you're picking out your kids' clothes. You're trying to decide what to have for breakfast. You're trying to decide who's going to sit in what car, the seat in the car. That was a big thing for my kids when they got old enough that they weren't in car seats. Um, Maybe that's not a big thing for your family. Like all of these decisions you have to make before you get out the door and you get in the car and you're exhausted because of the decision fatigue. And that's why these practical tips are so important is they're going to alleviate some of that decision fatigue. So if you have a schedule, you know exactly what you need to do before you get out the door, down to the detail where you have a checklist and you do those things, you know what you're having for breakfast and it's on the menu plan on your phone or in the kitchen where everybody can see it. So I'm going to move on from those and share some more that will help you, some other practical tips that will help you avoid that decision fatigue. So number one for the three that I'm going to share today, create a simple capsule wardrobe from your kiddo's closet. I'm not talking about going to the mall and starting from scratch. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, if you need to do that, you go ahead and do that. But what I'm talking about is looking in your closet, your kiddos closet, their drawers, however you handle their clothes, and you're going to create a simple capsule wardrobe. So when I was a tween, part of a large family, including three girls, my mom got so frustrated with our heaps of clothes that she instituted a capsule wardrobe for each of us way before anybody was ever talking about them. So I can't take credit for the idea. She simply had us choose outfits, jeans, tops, church outfit or two, and she took everything else and packed it up and stored it outside of our rooms. And we wore these outfits that we had picked out for two or three weeks before we swapped them out for new ones. She didn't give or throw our clothing away. It was just a way to minimize laundry for herself and decision fatigue for us and those never-ending battles that we would have in the morning about what am I going to wear? I don't know what I'm going to wear. So we didn't have to stand in front of our closets and try to decide between all of the outfits. We would choose from five or whatever number she chose. Of course, as girls, we wanted our favorite outfits in our closets, which meant we naturally weeded out the clothes that we didn't wear. So my version of capsule wardrobes may have looked, it did look a little bit different. I loved my idea, my mom's idea, I mean, and used my own version of it 
with my kids. But just like my mom, I didn't throw all the kids' clothes away or give them away. Like you see some people on social media who will say, you know, these are the, the only outfits my kids have. We got rid of everything else. We just didn't do that. And if, if you want to do that, that's fine too. What we did was we picked out the week's clothes in advance. This made it so much simpler for kiddos to get dressed in the morning, especially if we were going on a field trip or something like that. Just knowing what they were going to wear ahead of time helps so much. It's like, okay, you're going to get up, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to get dressed, your outfit's already there, you don't have to choose something. And just a few, a few notes about this. You know, some kiddos have a favorite t-shirt or outfit. And kiddos on the spectrum or with other capital letter syndromes may need to wear the same brand or kind of sweatshirt or the same sweatshirt exclusively, like every day they want to wear it. So if your kiddo needs to wear that same shirt, sweatshirt, or fill in the blank and it's bothering you, I know because it bothers us parents when we get out in public we want our kiddos to look presentable. We don't want them wearing that ratty sweatshirt with the holes in the sleeves because they chewed on them and you can't get all the stains out. Just ask yourself this question. Ten years from now, will this matter? I know I say that question on the podcast a lot because it's really important to put it in perspective. It may be that the tension in your relationship now will matter 10 years from now if you don't loosen up and let your kiddo wear what he or she is comfortable in. And the second note, don't allow this practical tip that I'm sharing from my life and my childhood boss you around or make more work for you. Is this creating a capsule wardrobe system perfect? Nope. Did I miss my prep time some weeks? Yep. But the idea is to eliminate some of the decision fatigue for mom, dad, and kids. If it only creates more chaos, skip it. Because I will say it does take work to do this. And one of the things that I learned about myself is if I did the work when I had energy, and often I did the work on Sunday evenings, then the, the week flowed better with more peace. But if I waited until Monday morning and said, okay, we're going to pick out all the clothes, we're going to do all the things, then it only created more stress and I was too tired. So take this practical tip and decide, try it. And don't just try it for a week, honestly. A week is not long enough to see whether it works or not because you're going to have that initial excitement and then you're going to have the realization that this is more work than you thought it was going to be. But if you keep trying it for a month or two or three, then it may become such a habit for your family that it actually does create more peace. And that's the thing about practical tips. Initially, they're going to create more work. Initially, 
is going to take you out of your comfort zone. It's going to make you have to get up and do an extra chore or two when you're used to just sitting there not thinking about those things until you have to deal with them. (laughs) All right, my second practical tip is use a whiteboard. I famously use a huge whiteboard in my dining room or family room, depending on which house I've lived in. And it didn't go with my decor. It may have looked out of place, but it saved a lot of time and helped kiddos know what to expect on a daily basis. And here's why. Because I homeschooled, I used the whiteboard for things like putting the daily schedule up, and other things like solving math problems. We actually, one Thanksgiving, we used that whiteboard to map out the family tree so everybody knew where they came from. But the main issue, the main use for the whiteboard was what was on the agenda for that day. This helps the kids know exactly what to expect. A lot of kiddos feel safer if they know what's coming up next. And you can write anything you want. You know, you can write breakfast. Or for your kiddos who are non-readers, you can draw breakfast. (laughs) Like draw an egg on a plate. And this, you know, even my grandkiddos now, I keep things on the refrigerator as well. The menu plan and stuff which I talked about, they will run to the refrigerator and look on there and say, oh, this is what we're having for lunch today while we're here. And it just gives them more peace. Let me share another whiteboard benefit. One of the huge benefits of posting jobs, agendas, and the day's events on the whiteboard is it removes the parent from the equation. How do you like that math? So that was a math joke. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, let's say it's Saturday morning, you have some fun stuff planned for the afternoon, but first you need to get some chores done. You need to accomplish some stuff. So you write them on the board. Clean kitchen, sweep stairs and hallway, vacuum family room, clean dining room, wash towels, clean your room, hike slash picnic, leave at 12 p.m. You get the idea. Instead of mom or dad chasing kids around and saying, did you clean your room? Or other such comments, you can say, check the whiteboard. Form that habit of saying, you know, what's, what do we need to do? Check the whiteboard. Check the whiteboard. Some weeks on Saturdays, I would put names beside the jobs. And other weeks, it was first come, first serve to get the job you wanted. For example, if the job you wanted was sweep the stairs and hallways, you made sure that you made it to the whiteboard first. I also want to, I'm going to point this out. This is super, super important. Work beside your kids. This isn't like, hey, you guys are the servants. I'm going to sit here and drink some coffee. If you want to go on this hike and this picnic, you need to get this stuff done. That's not what I'm talking about. I always work beside my kids and now my grandkids. It's important that you are working together as a family. The reason you want 
to do have your kids do these chores is for everyone to participate and contribute to the family. You're preparing your kiddos for life. Plus, you are setting them up for the way that they will run their family government. I did a, I did some articles on that as well. I'll have to link those. But anyway, when when you look into your kids' eyes and you're sitting there dusting the table with them or your shoulder to shoulder if they don't like eye contact, they begin to talk. They begin to tell you, you know, yesterday when this happened to me, you are communicating, you're bonding, you're forming that attachment, and you're doing this together. Now, does that mean it looks perfect? No, it doesn't. Does that mean you should expect perfection? No. Let's go back to the whiteboard for a second. (laughs) I said earlier, you know, you parents, we remove ourselves from the equation. How do we do that? You can't argue with a whiteboard. When my kids would ask, you know, what do I have to do? And I sent them to the whiteboard, check the whiteboard. Sometimes I could hear them huffing and puffing when they read the agenda. But if they said anything, it was to the whiteboard, and you can't argue with a whiteboard. And let me add this. When my kiddos were old enough, they were allowed to pay siblings to do their jobs, because that's just real life, or swap jobs. Also, super important, your expectation of a job well done should be based on physical and emotional age, not perfection. For example, a four-year-old sweeping under the dining room table may spend their whole 15 minutes with a tiny broom and dustpan on the same two-by-two-foot square and miss the rest. Tell him what a great job he did as he throws his crumbs in the trash, even if most of them go on the floor. Now, if a teen is sweeping under the table, then you expect them to get most of the crumbs. And also remember, emotional age, often these kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes are half their physical age emotionally. Now, I'm going to move on to my third tip, but one of the most important steps we parents miss is training or instruction on how to do a job. And this is where my last tip comes in, and it's super important. Have you ever been told to go do something? Let's say put yourself back into your childhood, and your parents say, go clean your room. So you go in your room and you look around and there's books on the floor, toys on the floor, stuffed animals on the floor, and you're just overwhelmed. You don't even know what to do first. Well, think of your kiddos. When you say something like, go clean your room, or it's your turn to do the kitchen, your turn to clean the family room, and you don't give them any instruction, and it is just overwhelming. So you may walk in the room and find them playing with the toy that they were picking up to put away. Or you may go in their room and find them shoving everything in the closet or under the bed. Now, like I said, this is not about perfection. 
but this is about training your kids how to do things which is going to serve them the rest of their life. So here's here it's finally is my third tip. Use cards with instructions to show kiddos exactly what to do. Exactly. Let me explain. Instead of expecting your kiddos to know what to do, clarify expectations. And that's one of the parenting instead of tips that I made a whole workbook about. And I will link that in the show notes. This is true when it comes to chores as well. One of the things I did when my kiddos were little is make chore cards out of index cards and tack them up in each room of my house. Each card was unique to the room. So when a child had a room assignment, like the living room, he could simply read the chore card and know what must be accomplished in that room. And I have linked in the show notes, I created these cute little chore cards that you can download if you'd like. So instead of saying, you know, go in your room and clean it, they have a card that tells them exactly what to do. And I'll read some of these chore cards off. And you can change yours based on your family and what you expect and what you think should be done in that room. So instead of your kiddo saying, I don't know how to clean this room, you can use these cards to guide them. Just a reminder, you need to train your children by doing the job beside them and walking them through each step. So when the kiddo is a little older, depending on their emotional and physical age, then he or she can do the job solely with a card and you can slowly remove yourself from the process. Or one of the things that I've always done is I I will be working in the room beside them with another kiddo. For example, family room, pick up pillows and put back on the couch, put toys away. And I always added this to my card Put toys away even if they're not yours. Dust tables. Vacuum. And I also always put something really funny on the card like pick up all the water buffalo. If you have the bathroom, put the items on the sink away. Put the towels in the hamper. Wipe the sink. Wipe the toilet. Scrub the shower tub. This is obviously for older kids vacuum and mop and I was at my daughter's house and she has these cards up in every single room of her house too and she also has a whiteboard so like my daughters do the same thing they have the whiteboards they have the cards they have so you aren't only teaching your generation of children you're helping the next generation And then that generation is helping the next generation have more peace in their home, have more organization. And you don't have to be some organizational guru to try one of these. That doesn't have to be like your zone of genius. The the object of this is not only to participate in chores as a family, but to make them easier, to make the expectations clear. 
And so, like I said, I have these cards on the show notes for the bedroom. That's a big one for kiddos. Like, what are they supposed to do when they get in there and clean that bedroom? Pick up the pillows, make the bed, put your toys away, put clothes away, dust, vacuum. Now, like I said, some of these cards, you know, you're the older kiddos are going to be able to go in their room and do these themselves. The younger kiddos, you're going to go in there and you're going to make it a joyful time as much as possible because we know kiddos don't always want to participate, but as much as possible. Pick up the pillows. You're going to walk them through these cards and show them this is what we're doing next and this is what we're doing next. And then there is also that finality, that completion. They're like, we did it. And always praise your kids like, you know what? How do you and ask them how do they feel about it? How did you feel about that? You did it. We're finished. It's not this open-ended thing because I hear parents talk about, you know, my kiddo took 3 or 4 hours to clean their room and yes, that's so frustrating. We don't want to get stuck in that. Because then it's a constant all-day battle. And that is why it's very important to go in there with your kiddos, especially if their emotional age is half their physical age. Let's say you have an 8-year-old and they're 4 emotionally. Then you're going to go in there with them. All right, you pick up a pillow, I'll pick up a pillow. You put this toy away, I'll put this toy away. We're going to fold up your clothes and put them away. You're going to walk them through them. Is this more work? Absolutely. It is. It's what Dr. Karen Purvis called investment parenting. The more you invest now with your kiddos while they're younger, the more they're going to reap the benefits of when they're older because they will know how to do these things. And even though it's not just them knowing how to clean a room, because they may grow up and get married and decide they don't want to ever clean anything. That's up to them. But it's also about that family time, that attachment, that connection. Feeling valued and loved is knowing that you have a place in the family. And when you have a place in the family, you're contributing. Contrib- I can say that word. Contributing to the family. Okay? That's really important. All right, conclusion. If your kiddo has experienced trauma or has a capital letter syndrome or both, then you understand that he or she needs more structure in their day than a neurotypical kid. Maybe you've been struggling with the how to provide the structure. My advice is try one of the practical tips I've shared for a month or two. Don't try it for one day and throw your hands up and let the day dictate and then live in reactionary mode. We've all lived there raising my hand, been there, done that many, 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 many times. And then whenever you're living in reactionary mode, it's like, you know, chewing your nails, like wondering Like I said at the beginning, like you're in this snow globe. You're wondering when it's going to be picked up and shaken up. What's going to set your kiddo off? Who's going to shake the snow globe next? And then you're all going to be tumbling around and just reacting to everything. 
when you and your kiddos live with a lot of not knowing what's next, you might find yourself spending your days trying to find a moment of peace. And I remember those days before I started learning how to implement these practical tips. When four of my kiddos first came home, in air quotes, and I thought I was a pretty organized person. And I remember being interviewed by the local newspaper who came and she just wanted to talk about everything that I did during the day. And it was like, that's when I had already started implementing some of these practical tips. And I was trying to get across to her that it was, you know, yes, it takes a lot of work to do these things, but I would rather do the work and have the peace. Because I remember those days when I was just like, oh my gosh. And you'll still, everybody still has these days, no matter whether they have practical tips or not. Let me make that clear. But you will have more peace if you are instituting some of these things. But it's just like, when am I going to get a break to find some peace? And honestly, I just want to add this on. Like, you can have peace with your kiddos next to you. I know the big thing in self-care is now it's like you have to get away from your kids. You have to take a vacation. You have to do all of these things for self-care without your kiddos. And that's just not true. You can have so many wonderful, joyful moments of peace and self-care with your kiddos. And when you proactively put some of these practices into place, whether it's creating a rotating capsule wardrobe, using a whiteboard, using chore cards, creating a schedule, or creating a rotating menu plan, you will have more peace. More peace looks like this. Not running around five minutes before you head out the door trying to find clothing your children will wear, figuring out what to eat, and throwing your dishes in the dishwasher all while your kids are melting down because you didn't tell them that you were headed to the dentist for their appointments. Yeah, been there, done that too. So let me just say no judgment here. Absolutely no judgment here. You parent your kiddos the way that you feel that they need to be parented and you meet their needs where they are. And I'm not sharing these practical tips because they are the ultimate answer to all of your problems. I'm sharing these because I've said this before. My kids, my husband, and my friends have been telling me for years, like, You need to share all of these things that you have done because I just never would have known. I wouldn't have done those things. And it's proof that my girls are doing these same things in their homes that it did help them. And now they're using these practical tips with their own kiddos. So thanks for listening today, and I hope this has been helpful. I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe 
to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.